Welcome to The Important Part, Investing with Liz Young. I'm Liz Young, Head of Investment Strategy at SoFi, here to help cut through the large amount of information out there about investing and get to the important part. With the help of my guests, you'll gain valuable insights, new perspectives, and the knowledge to confidently make your investment decisions. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Important Part. We've got a lovely episode for you today that is much cooler than I am. I'm punching above my weight on the cool factor with this one. And we have a guy named Ross Mack here to talk about how he blends pop culture and hip hop with investing and finance. I have no idea how that works, uh, and I can't even pretend to try to do it myself, but he's going he's gonna to tell us everything that he does, and I am super excited to share this interview with all of you. Ross Mack is the CEO and creator of Maconomics, a brand that gives plain financial advice to people who may not have access to the traditional avenues to receive this information. Maconomics gives his audience a fundamental understanding of financial freedom from an urban perspective. He's a Chicago native, graduate of Wharton School of Business, and former Wall Street professional for Morgan Stanley and Grosvenor Capital. He is also a media personality for BET, Revolt TV, and The Street, and works with brands doing corporate financial development for employees at Google, Facebook, LinkedIn, Salesforce, and much more. He was also named McDonald's 2022 Game Changer. And now let's get to the interview. Ross Mack. I am so excited for this, mostly because I'm going to sound so incredibly uncool this whole time. (laughs) I have the guy who's also known as the Wall Street Rapper. For uh, my listeners who are not aware, I am not a rapper. I'm nothing close to a rapper. I know a scary amount of lyrics to some salt and pepper songs from back in the day. But <laughs> this, guy, this guy is way cooler than me. And I think this is going to be a really interesting conversation. So welcome to the podcast, Ross. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. For one, you got the first part of it, though, right? You are Wall Street. You're the epitome of it. I know. We're just going to work on the second, the I know. latter part. And you're judging me for being that. I can feel it <laughs> through the microphone. Well, so let's start, though. Explain to everybody who you are, what you do. Everybody has everybody that's, that's good has a unique thing, right? They've got their mm-hmm. own kind of special sauce, and it helps them stand apart from the crowd. And it's, I think, most effective when it's really authentic and you don't have to think about what your unique thing is. So yeah. you blend Wall Street and hip hop. You make it cool. I, I'm still working on that. But explain to us <laughs> what that means. No, great, great question. And so my thing that I would say makes me unique is I'm a kid, humble beginnings, right? South side of Chicago, graduated from Warden School, ended up working on Wall Street for a little over five, six years or so. And at that moment, I had a turning point where it was like, yo, I know a lot of stuff that people that grew up around me have no idea. And I just look at, you know, education. Uh, I, I look at, you know, the knowledge gap in this country largely due to the exposure gap, right? What are you exposed to that really can determine, you know, where you go in life? And for mm-hmm. me, it was like, I want to bring my level of exposure back to my community. So I always wanted to bring Wall Street to Main Street, right? And I think my approach to financial literacy as a whole was like, you know, when you look at what it is, right, it's pretty complicated, right? Uh, or yeah. it appears that way, right? Am yeah, I we, make it, rich- we make it sound that way. Exactly, right? And so- 
you know, if you talking to someone, they're probably like, yo, that's taboo. I don't want to talk about what my credit score is. I don't want to talk about what's in my portfolio. So for me, where I'm at now, I have a production company where I just specialize in financial literacy. And like you say, I fuse Wall Street and hip hop. And the aim is to make my content more relatable, make it more digestible, make it more accessible to the average person. Right. And so where you see maybe some hip hop stuff, it's like I might actually dissect some lyrics from a Jay-Z song or a Beyonce song for really? that matter, right? And literally, yeah. So I actually have a podcast called Money Music Culture. And that's all we do, right? We literally will take, you know, lyrics of a song where you might have a Beyonce record and she's like, yo, pay me an equity. Now let's actually talk about it. Because if your favorite artist is talking about investing or real estate, right? You had Jay-Z in one of his songs, he's talking about, you know, buying art. Right. And I can't uh -huh. wait to pass this to my kids, kids. Right now we're talking about generational wealth. Now we're talking about whether that's in his estate planning. Right. Like it's so many gems that certain artists might have. And then you can literally just dissect not even a whole song, just literally two bars. And so for me, you know, I currently also have a show on Revolt TV called Maconomics. And that's just, you know, it, it is purely, you know, trying to discuss very important topics by first making you laugh. So it's like a very hip hop urban esque way uh -huh. of being Jim Cramer, right? Where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take a call. Yeah, you know, but <laughs> Jim Cramer's you know, funny. He, he, he missing a little sauce, but I love Jim Cramer because I I, uh, I got a lot of love for yeah. him. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't sing Jay Z lyrics. That's for sure. Yeah, no, not at all. Okay, got, okay, but what are you actually doing with it? You, you're playing their lyrics, and do you have to? get permission from them to do that, play their lyrics and then dissect them and talk about what it means. And like you blow it up into a topic then and talk about what investing in art means, for example. Phenomenal question, uh, because we've been so the, the podcast is actually on SiriusXM and then their compliance team, legal team, they were saying it's going to be very difficult to play the song. But uh -huh. what we can do is we could actually quote it. Okay. So there's some little sweet spot, but they didn't want to touch it at all. And so what we would do was just actually, you know, quote the lyrics, right? Like, oh, on this new song with Kendrick Lamar, for instance, right? Or J. Cole, he's talking about taxes, right? I made two million, three million, but it means nothing. Like once they start talking, like it's just so many amazing lyrics that we'll go over and dissect. A Kendrick Lamar song he was talking about, he had like six figures in a bank account. He had no idea what to do with it. And it was uh -huh. at that moment when he's first starting out rapping, but he had no no financial literacy, no one actually tell them, yo, maybe let's invest. Let's put a little bit here to pay taxes later. Let's do this. Let's do that. And uh -huh. so for us, it's awesome because, you know, my co-host is a guy who plays in the NFL. So it's awesome because we'll have other NFL players and other athletes, et cetera, or musicians that come on. And then we're just talking about real life stuff where, you know, we, we talk to certain people who are amazing, you know, who are far off now, but, you know, we might have the question is like, yo, if you got cut after your third year, where will you be right now? He'd be like, I'll be broke, mm. right? So some mm -hmm. people are getting really lucky because they understand that it took them until, you know, their fifth year in the league for them to actually get serious about their finances. Yeah. So I find that there's actually a difference between talking about money in the sense of personal finance, things like mm -hmm. your credit score, how many credit cards you have, do you carry a balance on your credit cards? Obviously, your income, did you lease or buy your car? what kind of house you want to buy, right? How big is the mortgage that you got approved for? All that kind of mm -hmm. stuff people are really sensitive about because yeah, you can make yeah. judgments about how much they make or what socioeconomic class they are. But when it comes to investing, I don't know that they're as sensitive anymore because here's the thing. I can say to you, I have a position in uh, an industrials ETF, right? Mm -hmm. I don't. I can tell you what the ticker is. I can tell you whatever. 
but I don't have to tell you how much. And exactly. you don't have any information on how much money I have in my brokerage account or how much money I have as, as an investor. And if I don't tell you when I bought it, you don't even know how well or poorly I've done in that investment. Exactly. So you could there's a way to kind of shield yourself from it, which I think is a benefit, frankly, to the retail investor who wants to talk about investing, but still maintain some semblance of privacy, right, about their mm -hmm. money. Do you find it, because it, you talk about both sides, you talk about the personal finance side and you talk about the investing side, is it easier to get people involved in the investing part now? So I love that question. If you were to say this maybe five years ago, right? Yo, what do you own? It's like, yo, that's a little private. If I'm telling you I right. own at least right. one share, you know that this costs over $1,000. Right. But now, due to democratization of everything, you could own a fraction of shares, right? Yep. So before the splits and Amazon was trading in the thousands or Googles, et cetera, if a person said they own that, he's like, oh, this person is, he's doing well, right? Mm -hmm. And, or, you know, and, or she's doing well. And so the idea is like now, you could be a, or you could be a person who just purely owns the S&P 500. You could say you own everything, right? And I think mm -hmm. that at the end of the day, people are, due to just technology and also the way social media has evolved, people are comfortable to talk about their wins, their losses. They're comfortable to talk about, hey, yeah, I'm, I own this stock. And I think it's nothing, no one's scared around it. But when it comes to the personal finance aspect, if you were to ask someone just randomly in your office, yo, what's your credit score? Yeah. <laughs> oh, are you out of your mind? <laughs> right. What do you right, mean? Right. Might as well just be like, how much do you weigh? <laughs> exactly. I know my mom used to say, never ask a woman how old she is. And that's yeah. like back in the day. So yeah. I don't know. But like the, these are pretty invasive questions, right? And so it's like now when it comes to personal finance, like it's it's funny. Shameless plug. I have a, a Netflix series coming out beginning of the next month. It's called- You're a Busy uh, Guy. Yeah, it's awesome. It's called Get Smart With Money. It's like four people partnered with four financial coaches. And I'm working with an NFL guy. Okay. And our first conversations were very, you know, guarded. He's, yo, one, any athlete, you can Google how much they make, right? So that's very- sure. So, sure. you know, it's it's literally no privacy, <laughs> right? And so it's it's pretty crazy. But, but then when you get into it, like, okay, let's actually break it all down. Let's budget- what are your outflows? What are your inflows? Where will you be in the event, right? You don't make the team or you get cut, right? And, and so now, you know, it started out having a very, you know, kind of guarded mm -hmm. conversation for him. We'd be like, okay, they say there's a few people you're not supposed to lie to. Okay. Your doctor, maybe financial advisor or tax accountant, whatever, right? Like, so we had to have those hard conversations. But everybody else is fair game? Yeah, yeah, it's fair <laughs> game. But because because it's like, you can't dissect the problem if you don't know everything. So when we talk about personal finance, I find it very interesting because, you know, when you look at statistics, right? If they're saying roughly two thirds of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, but if you go on social media, it's telling a completely different story, right? If you were to look at two thirds of the people that you follow or just the average accounts of two thirds of Americans, Mm -hmm. vast majority look like they're well off, right? Those so, paychecks are buying a lot of trips to Greece and Italy, I'll tell you that much. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of fine dining and a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of great clothing, right? A lot of uh -huh. designer. And so, you know, it, it's, it's the things that people don't want to talk about are the very, you know, those are things that I like to talk about. And it's like, you know what? People enjoy my content for that reason because it's like, yo, we're going to have real conversation. I don't care. It's like, yo, we can actually help you change your life around if we start talking about these hard to discuss topics, these taboo topics, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. So let's go back to 
Wall Street versus hip hop cool cool people. <laughs> Wall Street versus cool people. Wall Street versus retail investors, and we'll get into meme stuff later. So let's let's wait okay. on that. But but just in general. So and I'm just kind of tired of the saying Wall Street versus Main Street. So let's just say what I guess the world would refer to as professional investors, right? Or people that mm -hmm. do it as a profession and they've been professionally running money for a certain amount of mm -hmm. time or at least professionally advising on money. And then there's the retail investor who in the last, really the last two or three years has mm -hmm. come in with a vengeance, mm -hmm. but was always kind of around. Now more than ever, it feels like there's this kind of us versus them mentality, mm -hmm. right? Here's here's mm -hmm. the question. I have a couple of questions on this. But my question is there is a belief that, you know, Wall Street has all these resources and uh more money, clearly there's institutions with more money that have a little bit more power to make those certain trades, but all these resources, all this education and the retail investor kind of came in and said, "Does that really matter?" Right? I can do just mm -hmm. as well, can't I? And yeah. why do I need all that special stuff? Why do I have to use all those complicated words and charts? Can't I do just as well if I pick stocks my way or based on things that I can get my hands on and not necessarily that I can only get my hands on if I work on the street? So mm -hmm. the, the street being Wall Street. And mm -hmm. I guess what's your opinion on can they actually close that gap? Is that possible? Yeah. So for SARS, let's talk about what it is, right? The, or short, the answer is yes, absolutely. Uh -huh. Because we're talking about just new access to information, right? The democratization of everything where the power of the internet is, is, it is, it's, it's unbelievable, right? Like you can literally go on YouTube University, right? The college of the Ivy League college of Google, and you can find out anything, <laughs> right? And so when I you like really that. think about it, but seriously, though, right, when you I mean, the number one and two search engines in the world is Google and YouTube. And so at the end of the day, when pe people are figuring out how to invest, how to do technical analysis or fundamentals, et cetera, or any other thing for that matter, you can go straight to YouTube and Google and figure that out. And so I think now where you have people who are, you know, self-proclaimed experts in this field, right, who may not have gone to this school or or may not have worked in these prestigious shops, right? Wall Street shops. But these people are just all day doing one thing and that is practicing. Because at the end of the day, in order to get good at anything, it's going to take practice, practice, practice. And so I, I think, you know, one thing you said when we said, you know, let's change the name from Wall Street versus Main Street to professionals to retail investors, right? And the greatest investor, well, arguably one of the greatest investors of all time, that being Warren Buffett is going to let you know, at the end of the day, S&P 500 is going to outperform over 80% of the so-called professionals, right? And so now we're talking about a retail investor. If they're just sitting at home, they don't know nothing else other than that one quote by Warren Buffett, where I think we get into the the problem is, you know, oh, well, I think at the end of the day, I'm going to be smarter than the Wall Street person. It's like, no, you don't necessarily have to be smarter, right? You just can make it more simple, right? At the end of the day, if you make it more simple... And, you know, Warren Buffett attests to it by the things that you use. If you have five, six, I, I'm looking, I have literally like seven different, you know, Apple products right now, literally at my disposal, like in arm's reach, right? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, why not own Apple, right? If we're on Instagram, why not own Metastock, right? Or, you know, Microsoft, et cetera. And so at the end of the day, if you're a person that's a retail investor, you have the ability to do well. So as long as you dedicate your time, like what makes a person... Like what makes a person 
become a hedge fund manager, make a person be a professional strategist at some of these top shops is they spent a ton of hours, a ton of days, a ton of years perfecting the craft. So you have the same ability. The only difference you might not have is might not have as much access to the top quality type of person that they're talking to on the daily. Right. I remember when I worked at Grosvenor Capital, which was a fund of funds, I and my shop amazingly is investing in some of the greatest investors in the world, right? So I'll be able to go to a meeting and sit across from Ken Griffin. And I'm literally just watching this guy like, yo, this is probably one of the smartest guys I've ever been in a room in, right? This is, he's a, he's literally a machine. <laughs> I, I don't think he blinked one time the entire meeting. And then we go in a meeting with Oxif, right? And you're sitting there wow. like, okay, this guy's a stud, right? Talking about Jimmy Levine. And so you sit there and it's like, Working on the street, right, you get a different access to the knowledge base, right, from people that are actual savants in their craft. But the but the average person that's an investor, you don't have to overcomplicate it. What makes it bad is when you get out here and blow up your whole account trying to trade options because you saw one person post about it in a, in a group chat you're in, right? It's like if you take your time and you understand the facts of it, you could do well. Okay. Uh, multiple questions that just came to mind out of that statement. So, the first one is you've been on Wall Street. You've worked at Wall Street firms and now you're on the outside, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So in your opinion, what does Wall Street still get wrong? And the the way I want to ask that is in the sense of because now they're sort of up against this competition that they weren't a decade ago. The mm-hmm. online trading platforms of the world and just the growth of the retail investor and their the retail investor's ability to basically do all the stuff that they want to in an investment account on their own without that special research and without that expensive brokerage account and without those big firms. So where is where is Wall Street still getting it wrong with the retail investor? I love that. I love that question, right? And, and it's, it's a loaded question. So I'm going to answer like this. Like one, they're underestimating the retail investor. But two, so as long as you're not on the wrong end of the trade, right? They, they you can, you can do what you want. I think whether this is a movement that may have been born right from the Occupy Wall Street days, where you're looking at Reddit versus Wall Street, it, it, especially if we look at GameStop, how did they have over a hundred percent short, right? So literally, they were, they were able to borrow more shares than were available and short it. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, if you take a position like that, you have to do all the due diligence of seeing what could go wrong. Mm-hmm. I think two years ago, Reddit trades didn't exist. That that wasn't in the due diligence process. Right now, the, your risk your risk team at your shop to say what happens if you know Reddit tries to say, yo, I don't like the net. I don't like this company is carrying a net short this much. Maybe that's the trigger. Maybe it's a, you know, if this stock has a net short over 35%, maybe we should start paring this down or we should, you know, hedge this with owning calls, et cetera. So I think people just got to get smart, right? Like that's it. That's all. <laughs> it's that simple. Well, okay. So I think one of the things that Wall Street maybe still misses on is how they communicate with retail investors or how maybe they're trying to connect with their audience. And I think there's still a decent amount of institutional content that is out there that the retail investor just, number one, isn't going to digest. And number two is just going to miss the mark from a communication standpoint, just style, verbiage, all of it. So one of the things that you're trying to do is take an element of 
pop culture or, or just an element of culture in general that a lot of people are familiar with and and then make it something that is maybe less familiar to many. Is that fair? And yeah. that does that solve the, the communication problem? So you want to know what I just saw yesterday in one I was like, yo, are they still in my entire style right now? Like, I thought I'd just mm. get purely Swagger Jacked. It's a Cash App commercial. <laughs> Swagger Jacked? Literally. Swagger Jacked. Yeah, I, I think See, they just I, took my whole sauce. Term. They took my entire did, wow. sauce and ran with it. I'm going to use that. I can't wait. You got to. It's awesome, right? You can't let nobody <laughs> jack your swag. It's that simple. <laughs> right? So I, I literally got, I, I thought this was just like identity theft or something, right? Like IP or something. But it was awesome because then I had to take a step back and like, yo, this is really great for the culture of financial literacy. It's a cash app commercial where you have Kendrick Lamar, right? One, a really great rapper who is in the middle of two people having a conversation. And what he's doing is literally um, translating it, right? So you got this, this guy who's talking nothing but slang, saying something. And then on the other side is Ray Dalio. Oh. I was like, yo, this is this is actually dope. And so what it was was this guy like, yo, you know, I um I was getting ready to buy this this barbershop. I had all the money for it, but I ended up getting in a dice game and I was trying to make that because I was a little short on, on how much I needed to buy it. I get in the dice game and I lost, right? But he said it in a crazy way. It literally uh -huh. Kendrick Lamar translate that to Ray Dalio. And Ray Dalio's like, look, man. And then now Ray Dalio's talking in Ray Dalio language, right? Right. And so right. he's talking in quintessential Wall Street. And he's like, look, buddy, well, here's the thing. I think, you know, you, you really want to find a better way to diversify yourself and really start compounding it, right? Because right. you can own more than one and you can have two and three barbershops, et cetera, et cetera. And so then yeah. Kendrick Lamar translate that for him. And it was just the funniest thing. I'm like, yo, that's amazing, right? It was hilarious. And so yeah. to your question, it's like, where does Wall Street get it wrong and how they want to translate to the retail investor, like, I think what happens is people don't like to get talked down on. Mm -hmm. So I think at the end of the day, there just needs to be a mutual found level of respect. And I think retail investors, they have to also understand you can never make Wall Street go broke, right? It's impossible. But what you can do is <laughs> learn from there's them. There's people listening that are like, challenge accepted. <laughs> Literally. Broke. You can never break certain, you know, the, the institution of Wall Street is... It's too powerful. It's truly too big to fail. But I think where Wall Street, you know, it's often they look down on the retail investor. And I think that, you know, the people that are getting in it now, look, learn from what they're doing and find a way that you can help change your life and your family life and you're good. But the idea that you're going to stick it to the man. So do you think that there are investors in the meme stocks who don't care about whether or not it hurts Wall Street and they're just legitimately trying to make money? Or is it still mainly people in there trying to sort of stick it to someone else. Yeah. So here's the thing. And I, I have a theory on this, right? You can't compete with companies that are controlling trillions of dollars, right? This is just different. This is a different type of capital. But yeah, so I definitely think that there might be wolves in sheep clothing because when you see certain, you know, things that happen in these chat rooms, right? Because I took a day or two and just let me say, what's going on? Because this it's something that I, I needed to study, right? Uh -huh. And I'm sure there are people at every shop on the street that are actually studying it too. And in fact, I think there are certain shops that are also typing in these forms, right? And that's what makes me say, when you start seeing people see, say price targets, those are the people that are trying to lurk in and lure in uh, other investors that are not savvy enough to understand what's going on. They come in. So the person that bought GameStop at $400, mm. he's mad as hell. Right, the person today that probably bought Bed Bath and Beyond at like 
I don't know, $25 or something. They're probably going to be mad in a week or two, right? And so when I started seeing people have price targets, it's, that's when you should get weary. So when I saw people saying, yo, Diamond Hands, I'm holding GameStop to $1,000. Mm-hmm. Whoever started that and won, right? When we talk about Wall Street, they have, you know, sometimes hundreds and thousands of people working for them. But on top of that, you know, when... You have Elon Musk talk about all the bots on Twitter. It's a ton of bots probably on Reddit as well that are literally just having different um, messages that are going to make a person who's living in their mom's basement like, yo, I'm going all in. If everybody else is doing it, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's 80% bots that are making you think they're doing it too. And it's not, it's really not. So I feel bad about some of those people, but it's like, you got to get smart. Don't try to get rich quick. And those are the people that are the last in the business. One of the things that I think is important to cover as we sort of wrap this up is you mentioned earlier in the podcast about retail investors not having the same access to information and not having the same access to the people or being in the rooms with the people like the Ray Dalios of the world, right? Like the Ken Griffins of the world. Where can those retail investors or where would you recommend that they go to find competing viewpoints? And the reason I make that specificity is because I think any investor knows that they, you know, they can read the news, they can go onto chat rooms, they can go onto platforms and and seek out probably a lot of stuff that just confirms what they already thought. Mm-hmm. Or they're gonna read stuff that made them think that thought, right? Exactly. So confirmation it's, bias. It's all. It, it can be a lot of confirmation bias, and if they if they only know of those particular platforms, they're just going to keep feeding the same stuff. Because one of the things that I do almost every day is, and actually, just I gave my team this assignment last week. I said, you know, I'm feeling decently optimistic about the market for the second half of the year. Go find me the details about the biggest bears. I want to hear the bearish Mm -hmm. point of view. I want to hear not just who they are. I know who they are. I want to know exactly why, right? Because that's the only way that I'm going to find out if I'm missing something big. And I guarantee you that they have a point. Mm -hmm. Let's purposely go seek out competing information. So where should a retail investor look to find stuff that they don't agree with? I think that is a freaking phenomenal strategy, by the way. Not a lot of people do that. And so I would say to the average person, I think you need to start off or that person should watch CNBC and see some of the people who are that are technically the experts, right? And figure out what side of the road they're on, right? If they're bears or they're bulls and maybe go to their Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, figure out are they, are they, are they tweeting things, right? Because it's probably going to be hard for the average person to get access to research. But I think what you can do is maybe start following those people and seeing, are they posting things, right? Are they publishing certain things that are actual free to the public? Because when we think about the the typical retail person, it's like, yo, I'm not paying for CNBC Pro or, Mm -hmm. you know, like all Mm -hmm. those up charges. So I would say to a person, I think one way to do your strategy, which I love, let me find out who's with me and who's against me. And let me figure out if I got something wrong, right? Like that's why I sit and I, you know, when you look at like the, the people that are, you know, the Reddit traders that are at some point could look as though they're outsmarting people. It's like, well, that person got something wrong. If you're saying, how could I confirm or, you know, now am I not feeling as, you know, strong with my viewpoint, right? My thesis is let me see CNBC. Let me see, because they have nothing. I, we, shout out to you. We see you on CNBC. Uh, but you see <laughs> you see a ton of people, right? Maybe you need to follow Liz, right? Shameless plug. At Liz I Young went, Strat. Saw, That's you better handle. know it. Yep. 
at Liz Young Strat. Mm-hmm. But I saw you posted something that made you say, yo, this is why I feel this way. Mm-hmm. But the average other person was probably going to do the same thing, no matter if they run research at this shop or they PM at that shop. I think that's one easy way to do it. Yeah. But you, on the other hand, you have a different access, right? You have a team that can literally make calls and get actual research reports yeah. to your desk, right? And right. I think, we have subscriptions. You know, yeah. Exactly. And it's crazy. So like my, when I worked at Morgan Stanley, I worked in research. Mm-hmm. I hated it while I was there, but I love it now that I'm gone because that was probably the greatest for my, my young career, mm-hmm. reading all those 10Ks, 10Qs, et cetera. But the, the lead research person, he would literally be on the phone with people all day. Just all day. I've never seen a strategy like this. Like if we were looking at, because I was on a credit desk and we were looking at Toys R Us, he would say, yo, just go to Toys R Us in Times Square and just, just you know, this day versus next week, just calculate the foot traffic. I'm like, bro, are you out of your mind right now? Like that's that's the worst thing I've ever heard. Yeah. But you realize like, yo, it's a different strategy that it, it, it makes so much sense. And so I think that once you understand and I, you just gave a free gem, right? Let me see why I could potentially be wrong. Who is on the other side of this trade potentially? And what am I potentially missing? And I think, mm-hmm. you know, for the average person listening, I will start off on their Twitter. And then from there, just research like, heck, does that person have any YouTube videos that he or she might have been speaking on? Or is that person speaking at any conferences or anything? You know, I, I will start off Twitter. The last thing I'm going to ask you is what do you think about the market for the rest of the year? So, now I was a person. Here's what I'll say. He just he right. just crossed his arms for everybody yeah. who can't see him. He just sat back oh, yeah. side I, and crossed I, his arms. I don't know if that's a good sign. Yeah. So I, I sat up. I tried to sound and look more intelligent than yeah. I am. But uh, <laughs> but here, here's what I will say. Right. If you're a long term investor, don't worry about it. You ain't got to try to time the market five years from now. You straight. I promise you that, right? Well, I won't promise. 10 years for sure, I can promise you that. But what I will say is this, right? It's a lot of unknowns, right? Some people can look and say, maybe we reached the bottom in June. Some people will say, hey, you know, we might be in the midst of a bear market rally where things could only get uglier because we'll talk about all the unknowns, right? Some people think we're currently in a recession, just granted by two negative GDPs. We got inflation. Sure, it appears that it's peaked, but it's still crazy high. And so at the end of the day, I think that we have the ability, and I've just, from a charting standpoint, I said this a few weeks ago, it's like, yo, I think we can, we're in a process, we're making higher highs and higher lows, but I do found, I do believe that we're going to reach a strong point of resistance, and I think that we'll enter back towards, a, 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 now how long it will be? Is June the actual bottom? I don't know, but I do believe we go a little lower at some point. Oh, okay. There it was. All right. I, that's a wrap. But you, take, take, you take what were, I say with a grain of salt. I'm, yeah, of course. I'm no at Liz Young Strat, though. So, <laughs> I, I mean, that was, I think that was great. I, we learned so, I think we learned so much about just communicating with a retail investor. I know I learned never let anybody jack your swagger. At all. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be... That's going to be a hashtag. But we have fun. Thank you so much. We had so much fun. Thank you so much for being on the pod. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Without a doubt. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks. I love you guys. Well, I thought that was really interesting. And a, a conversation that I think is important to have, even if it wasn't a ton of 
direct investment advice or, or particular knowledge on what to do in a portfolio because we're in a time where communicating with the end investor, connecting with the individual and end investor is really, really important. And I think that Ross is doing a wonderful job of linking pop culture and linking things that people are familiar with into things that they are not as familiar with. And we talked about you need to be willing to discuss hard topics. And I think for a lot of people today, it is more comfortable for them to talk about investing instead of talking necessarily about personal finance, things like we talked about your credit score and and what else is going on in your financial life. But people are much more comfortable talking about the stocks that they own or the things that they're thinking about buying. And the part that I found really interesting is he said, you know, and, and this is somebody who's on the side of the retail investor. And he said for the meme stocks and and everything that's going on and a lot of those short squeezes, it's not possible to stick it to the man. It's There's so much capital out there and it's it's different capital that it's really difficult for that to work the way that maybe people are intending it to. I think some of that's still to be seen. Who you know, who knows? And and you could argue that in some of those names, depending on when you got in and when you got out, it worked, right? So it's that's still a big question mark, but his take is really, you know, trying to take on Wall Street as a as a big behemoth um and take it down is is probably not going to happen. And then the other thing that that we talked about that I just want to reiterate is as investors purposely seeking out information that is different from your own opinion or competing information. Purposely seek out people that have the opposite opinion because that is how you find out if you missed something. And it may be that you listen to their take, you listen to their data and and their analysis and you say, nope, I still think what I think. And that's fine too. That is perfectly fine. But making sure that you have both sides of the argument or all six sides of the argument, whatever they may be, and really evaluating it from a larger point of view. All right. That is it for this episode, and I am excited to get the next one out to you soon. For more from me, check out my weekly column on the markets and economy every Thursday morning on the SoFi blog at sofi.com slash blog. And follow me on Twitter for daily takes on the market at Liz Youngstrap. The Important Part is produced by SoFi in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Sarah Lee Kane, our producer, Brian Rivers, our production manager, and Adam Raimonda, our editor and sound engineer. SoFi can't guarantee future financial performance and past performance is no guarantee. This podcast should be used for informational purposes only and not deemed as a recommendation. Our automated investing is via SoFi Wealth, LLC, and is a registered investment advisor. Our active investing is via SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. For additional disclosures related to the SoFi Invest platforms, please visit sofi.com slash legal.